Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're going to hear Paul preach the gospel right now, and we're going back to that synagogue in Pisidian Antioch. We heard his message last week, but there's something else that I felt like I was not to move on from, I was to to bring out. So would you take your Bibles and open with me to Acts chapter 13, Paul is seeing Jesus alive, and Paul is with Barnabas, they are way up now in the middle of of, of central, what is today Turkey, Asia Minor. They left Cyprus, went right straight north to the coast, passed by a great big city without preaching in it, and went a hundred miles through the Taurus Mountains to get to Pisidian Antioch. Because I think that the, a man they had converted in Cyprus has family there. Pisidian Antioch is, is, a, is quite the place. It's a Roman headquarters. There's an enormous temple to Caesar there. Uh, I've seen I've seen the the the, the uh, archaeology of it. The Romans had had carved a huge semicircle out of the rock, and had had built this en- enormous temple. It looks like something in Athens. I mean, it, it was a big deal. This is their military headquarters, it's political headquarters. I think there's a family here that Paul has come to to reach. I think it's the family of Sergius Paulus who came to Christ in Cyprus. I think he said, "Please go." and preach to my, my mom, my dad. I don't know who's there. But in this synagogue, you have not only Jews, but you have these dignitaries. It's mentioned. Uh, leading men of the city, uh, leading prominent women. Somebody's there that I think is there because Paul brought a, a letter with him from Cyprus. So he stands up and he gives this sermon. We saw the mercies of David. Do you recall that? Those of you that heard it, how many do recall it? Okay, good, four or five. Um, <laughs> there was more than that. Thank you. Um, and and you re- we talked about the mercies of David and, and how uh, David did not deserve mercy, but he received it. Uh, he had been a murderer. He'd been an adulterer. There was no atonement in the law for such things. And yet, because he called on God for his chesed, his loving kindness, his mercy, he had, he had repented fully, confessed freely, and called on God for mercy. God had given him mercy. And we, we see that we're promised the mercies of David through Jesus Christ. We saw that beautiful message. But there's something else here that I, I was going to pass on by, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, no, I want you to, I want you to go deeper in this. I want you to, even me personally, I want you to see the resurrection, because Paul preaches the resurrection here. Now, I know that, and we preach it every Easter and and all, but I felt like the Lord said, no, I want you to see it more deeply. So, Holy Spirit, here we are. We've opened the Word of God, and we ask you now to open our spiritual eyes so we can see our ears to hear, and we bring you soft hearts. Lord, that which is truly your Word, we believe it. We receive it. So come now and anoint your Word and grace me to speak your Word and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to Acts 13. I'll start at verse 26, 
And I'm going to read on down to verse 39. So I'm picking up in the middle of his sermon. He stands up, gives some of the history of Israel, begins to talk about Jesus. He's, he's been focusing on John the Baptist here, proclaiming him. And then verse 26, he says, Brethren, sons of Abraham's family and those among you who fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfill these by condemning him. He's saying our rulers, if they had just understood the very prophecies they read all the time, they would not have done that, but they actually fulfilled them. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Would you say that? But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. Remember that? The promise made to the fathers was that there would be a resurrection from the dead. The great desire of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and every man or woman who loved the Lord in, in, in that whole era was that they would see God and be with him forever, that they wouldn't stay in the grave. Is that your, your desire too? Come on. It is our desire, and it was the great burning desire in the hearts of the fathers, and that was the promise to them. And Paul is saying it's happened. It's, the whole thing has begun now. That God has fulfilled this promise. Actually, this is poorly translated, not to our children. But God has fulfilled this promise in that he has raised up to, uh, to us. He's, God has fulfilled this to the children of Israel in that he has raised up to us, Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he's spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he'd served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and, lay, and, and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. That is the heart of his sermon. I think he gave Luke those notes later on. I'll bet he preached that sermon a lot. You know, everywhere he went, he'd go to the synagogue, preach, blow the place up, and then minister to the Gentiles. You remember his method, yeah. Paul has his own missiological technique. And, but he, so here he is, and we're, this is Paul's sermon. By the way, it's very similar to Peter's, if you read earlier. So he's preaching this sermon, and he focuses on the resurrection. Paul had good news to preach. He announced to this synagogue full of Jews and Gentiles that God had fulfilled his promise to the fathers, that he would end the power of death. Their greatest longing and ours was that they would not remain in the grave, but would come back to life, not just spiritually, but physically. 
And Paul's message on that Sabbath morning in Pisidian Antioch was that this wonderful promise was no longer just a hope. For the first time, a man had escaped from the grip of death. And as he did, he carried with him the entire human race. A man who had died was literally alive and would never die again. And he had been seen by many witnesses. What if you could have been one of those men and women who actually saw Jesus standing in front of you? What if like you, like Thomas, had been able to touch his scars? Or like the disciples who sat on the beach in Galilee, you, you ate the fish and bread he handed you. How would that change the way you think about him? To be absolutely sure he's alive would change everything. We would not become religious. We would become his witnesses, joyfully announcing an historical fact. You see that? If you saw him, let's just imagine he stood here in front of you in his resurrected body, and you could hug him and touch him and see him. What would that do to you? I'll tell you, it wouldn't make you religious. It'd make you fanatic. Hallelujah. Wouldn't it? I mean, you'd be hard to live with because you'd be so sure. And you say, no, 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 don't go there. He's alive. I've seen him. I hugged him. I, this is real. You've got to believe. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I mean, you'd get aggressive because you knew. You knew this was real. It wasn't a matter of I hope or here's a few religious truths that will help your life. Jesus is alive. This is the central feature of Christianity. This is what it's all about. We are not a religion. We're we're announcing an historical fact that God has defeated death. That God in raising his son has given us, if we will follow, we can all escape death. That's our message. What a powerful message, amen? We tell people this is the Savior. He isn't just one more of those teachers who say wise things and then die. After a brutal execution and three days in a tomb, God raised him up in complete health with a glorious new body. You wouldn't spend a lot of time arguing or debating. You'd be telling everyone you could, Jesus is the Savior. I know he is. I've seen him. Whether we listen to Peter or Paul, whether they're preaching to Jews or Gentiles, they always end up proclaiming the resurrection. I mean, Paul can be on, on the, on the, in Athens preaching to a whole bunch of just Greeks with all their, and he'll end up at the resurrection. In fact, that's where it blew up. But he'll get to that resurrection because that's the central fact. You see, people, if, if all Jesus did was die on the cross, we have a martyrdom. It's the resurrection that makes it valid. It's the resurrection that proves it. It's the resurrection that changes everything. This isn't just one more teacher who died for his faith. This is the unique person in all of history. He came alive from the grave to never return, to never decay. He came alive at a whole new level. Real, solid, could eat, could be seen, all of these things but he came alive forever. That changes everything. Someone had escaped. The the greatest thing that could possibly have happened had happened. Someone had escaped from death. By far, the greatest enemy of every human is our impending death. We watch as time and again, people we love leave us and we desperately hope they've gone somewhere to wait for us. And then come our turn to approach that veil and pass through. 
So if someone could give us absolute proof that there's life after death, that someday we will live again, but without the haunting sadness that the grave awaits us, that we can be reunited with those we love and most wonderful of all, that we can enjoy fellowship with God forever, there would be no fact, no truth comparable to it. It would simply be the most precious treasure in the world. Do you agree? This whole sense of our mortality, this sense of our dying, this sense of, 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 of the end of life come, starts early in people's lives. It, it's something we, I don't think we're even conscious because we put it out of our thoughts. It's, it, we don't run around morbidly focused unless we're a bit weird. And, but, but most of us have to just like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to live today. I'm not going to think about that. But it starts early. I, I was... Um, one of the things with my children is I would, I would read to them. Um, I would read, a, I would read a, a chapter of the Bible. Uh, we'd have an appropriate Bible for them as they grew up. And then some story. And then we'd pray together. And uh, I, would, I, would make, I would always be there if I possibly could. I mean, I'd step out of meetings to do this. This was my, my moment with my children. And so I, I was reading to my son, Andrew. And I think he was, I think he was about seven years old. I... I and uh, with Andrew, you had to read fast because he'd fall asleep on you. You know, the gir girls would read ahead on me, you know, go, wait for me, you know. But, but Andrew, he's, so I'm reading fast. And, and, but this night he didn't. And this night we, I, I was, I was uh, reading along and, and after our prayers, he just kind of lay there quietly. And then he said, Daddy, I said, yes. He says, he kind of took him a little bit to get it. He says, will I die? Boy, I have one of those father's moments, huh? What do I answer? And I said, yes, sweetheart, you will. And then I very quickly said, and that's why Jesus is so important to us. I said, because you believe in him, because we believe in him, you will, even if you do physically die, you will come alive again, and we will all, and we'll be together forever. Death will not hold us. That's why we love Jesus so much. I'm bringing that home to my son, right at about six, seven years of age, that this is the heart of it. He's already aware. He's already aware. Daddy, I've been seeing this stuff. Does that happen to me too? I was, um, this was even before that, I think. Um, my wife's grandmother, Grandma Dora, uh, and Grandpa Will lived in Wisconsin. They were dairy farmers, Ripon, Wisconsin. And uh, Grandma Dora died. She, she was 98. Yeah, 98. How old was Grandpa Will? 89, okay. Boy, I, I'll tell you, we, would, we went there on some occasions, and I remember the duck dinner. You know, and homemade rolls, and oh boy, and 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 they lived to ninety-eight on that. Uh, come on, and uh, <laughs> so here's my recipe for long life: duck dinner with lots of gravy and homemade rolls, mashed potatoes, and a pie with ice cream. So, you eat a lot of that, you'll live to ninety-eight. You know, come on, come. On. Well, we we had been served uh, Grandma Dora's dinners, and and she died. 
and we were in California at the time. I was teaching at the Bible College in Los Angeles, and uh, my children, this was the first death in, of, of, of family members they had dealt with, and uh, they wanted to go. I mean, they, they wanted to get on that airplane, and they wanted to go to that service for Grandma Dora, and we couldn't. We couldn't afford it. And, and uh, so I, I thought, Lord, what are we going to do? And here's what he put in my mind. I, I, I decided that after church, we were, we were attending um, church on the way. I think it was after church. We, we went to, uh, I was take them to Forest Lawn. Do you all ever heard of Forest Lawn? Forest Lawn? It's an enormous uh, cemetery there and, and just, uh, just above the city in Los Angeles. A lot of famous people are buried there. It's that kind of thing. And um, so we, we, after church, we pulled into Forest Lawn and I took them up. We got on a hillside where you could really see a lot of graves. And Forest Lawn doesn't have, the, for the most part, the high graves. They have just the stones. So where we sat on this, this hillside, you know, on the grass, is just gravestones just sweeping down and just out as far as you can see. There's just thousands of them in front of us. And it was an afternoon sunlight that came and kind of hit those, those, those stones and all. And so Mary and me and the kids, and we just sat there, on the, on the grass with all of these graves, and I, I read to them for, from First Thessalonians, you know. We, we are not like those who have no hope, but at the sound of the trumpet, you know, we're gonna, uh, these, these graves will open up. And, and I read that to them, and I said, now, all right, I have to get a little dramatic. And I said, now, here's what's going to happen. I said, the time when Jesus comes again, there'll be a trumpet. And the skies will open back. And the Lord will come. And I said, you see these graves? Every one of them who knows Jesus Christ as their, as their Lord and Savior, I said, they will pop up out of the ground. And I'll meet him in the air. And those of us who are alive, if we're still alive, if we're alive when he comes, we'll go, and we'll be changed right on the spot. <laughs> Into our new bodies. And he said, so I said, we'll all be raised up. And we'll all be with him forever. That's because of Jesus. And I said, Gramadora's coming up out of that grave. Let's pray. We're, gonna, we're all praying. <laughs> and uh, my daughter, Rebecca, little Rebecca, and she says, oh, Jesus, be careful of Gramadora when she pops up. She's old, you know. You know, you've got to be careful if you, that you're fully resurrected before you hit the gravestone. Or it's just, oh, man. So we've asked Jesus to be careful of Grandma Dora and when, she, when she hits that thing. Those children are at that age already coming to grips with the significant reality in the human life, and that is that we all die. This is what Jesus has come to give us, eternal life. He says there's nothing more precious. Do you agree? Apostles had seen Jesus alive. Even Paul saw him. So it's no surprise their essential message could be stated like this. Listen to me. Jesus really rose from the dead. Just like the prophet said he would. We've seen him with our own eyes. By raising him from the dead, God proved that Jesus is the Savior. And if you believe in him, your sins will be forgiven and you will also rise from the grave to live forever. That's what you might call the apostolic message. Simple, basic truth. There's your gospel. What's the power of the gospel? It's true. That stuff's true. 
You might say, well, that's fine for them. They got to see him alive. I haven't. Thomas got to put his hand in the scars. I don't. I'm left in a vulnerable place of having to trust that others are telling me the truth. And yes, that is partly true. We do have to trust their word. But this Jesus really is alive. So even though we may not see him with our our physical eyes, he does come and reveal himself to those who honestly seek him. How many of you, you know he's alive. You've met him. He's he's done things in your life without doubt. Amen? Amen? Jesus said, those who have come to him this way actually receive a blessing. I want you to see this. Go with me to John chapter 20, verse 24. John 20, verse 24. The, this is, the resurrection has happened. This is uh, just following it. The, 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 the evening of the resurrection day, uh, they had been gathered in an upper room and the doors were locked. They were afraid. And Jesus just walked right on into the room with the, right through the wall, I suppose, or through the door. Not because Jesus was ghost-like, but because the walls were ghost-like compared to the reality to which Jesus was now resurrected. Do you follow what I just said? Jesus, what you're going to be resurrected to, the life that you're going to live in the future, is not some vaporous little life on a cloud. It will be more real. You will remember these as the shadow days. You will remember this as the shadow place that you used to live. Where you're going to live will be in a form of reality far more intense in every way than what you have here. So he just walked right on into the room. Walls were just like a, like a vapor to him. So Thomas wasn't there when this happened. They all, they all told Thomas, and look how he reacts. Verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, that means twin, he's probably Matthew's twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger in the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came and the doors having been shut, stood in their midst and said, Shalom. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. I don't think he touched him, do you? I don't think at that point, he's, he's like, oh boy. Um, do you notice Jesus is not pleased with this? He's not pleased with, with Thomas's response. He's not saying, what an honest man. You're not about to be a fool by anybody telling you stuff. Boy, you're, you're from Missouri. You're gonna, you gotta see it with your eyes, you know? Good for you, Thomas. Don't you get taken in. Don't you let anybody take you into stuff. He doesn't, he's not real pleased with this. He says, don't be unbelieving. And, and, I'll, and I'll show you why. I'll show you what he expected of him in a minute. And he says, Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. He said, I'm more pleased with those who listen to the, to the spirit. Those who listen to the word. Thomas was able to see Jesus before he ascended. 
But what if he had not been in that room when Jesus appeared? What if he had steadfastly refused to believe the testimony of the others? It appears he had decided he would not listen with spiritual ears or see with spiritual eyes. He would not let the Holy Spirit confirm the truth to his heart. In fact, he decided not to trust anybody else, only himself, which of course means he had decided not to believe what the prophets had written. There happens to be a scriptural issue here, doesn't there? I'll show you how, how much that matters to Jesus. Believing the Bible... As Jesus, pardon me, as usual, Jesus' thoughts on this matter are very different from ours. He says we should believe the Bible even more than what our eyes see. In fact, he was frustrated with people who had to see before they believed. Listen to what he said to two doubting disciples on the road to Emmaus. This again is after the resurrection. Emmaus is actually about seven miles. It's, I think it's old Mizpah. And it's just north, it's northwest there. And they're, they're walking uh, the, the, the path. These are disciples of his. And a man, as they're walking along, a man starts following them and then catches up to them. They do not recognize him. And he has a dialogue with them. And he says, so what's, what's going on? Que pasa? Uh, they said, where have you been, on Mars? Uh, this is my translation, you know. Uh, they said, where have you been? Hey, how could you not know what's going on? He said this, you know, Jesus, this one we thought was the Messiah, has, has been killed. We thought he was the prophet. We thought he was all these things. And so here they are, wringing their hands. And his response is, is, is this. Oh, foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Where does he go? He turns to the word. And he's saying to them, he's not, he still hasn't revealed himself. He's saying to them, why don't you believe the Bible? Doesn't it say these things? Why don't you believe the Bible? Notice he doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry you're doubting. Here, you need to see me alive. Ta-da, look, see, here are my scars. Now believe. Notice what he doesn't do. Oh, you guys don't know. No, it's me. Look, look, look. See the scars? Come on. Doesn't go there, does he? Stays, stays hidden from them somehow and goes to the word and says, why don't you believe the word? Why don't you believe the word? He stayed hidden from their eyes, trying to get them to believe what God had declared in his word was true, whether they had personally seen it or not. Clearly, God considers the witness of the scriptures along with the confirmation of the Holy Spirit to be enough. In fact, Jesus says that if it isn't enough, neither would seeing him with our own eyes be enough. Listen to Jesus' parable about Lazarus and the rich man. You remember this parable? Uh, there's a rich man. He has all of this money. He has so much he ends up building bigger barns and all this. And he has a man who sits outside his gate, Lazarus. Uh, he's, a, he's clearly a believer, a righteous man, but very poor. So poor, the, the dogs are licking his sores and he's, he's in poverty. Both of these men die. 
Lazarus goes to what's called, said Abraham's bosom. In other words, he's there in the arms of Abraham. He's with his father Abraham, with believers, the truly righteous. And there's a gulf. And then on an, another side is the rich man. And he is not there with Abraham. And he looks across, but he can see. And this dialogue is there. And, and, and he's, at, at some point, he begins to worry about his family, who's back on earth. And he says this. And he said, then I beg you, Father Abraham, that you send him, Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Now listen, but he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. In other words, it has more to do with my attitude toward God than it does with my knowledge. It really isn't an issue of knowledge. It's an issue of my heart. Whether or not I believe in Jesus rose from the dead has more to do with my attitude toward God, which is exposed when I hear him speak to me through his word, than seeing some sort of proof of Jesus' resurrection. Apparently, I intuitively know much more than I might admit. If I sincerely want to know the truth, God will begin to show me that he is real and powerful, and he'll put a love for his word in my heart. When I read it, I'll find myself believing things I haven't seen yet. They'll become as real to me as if I had already seen them with my eyes. Paul says this, We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You'll find the longer you live with God... The things that you can't see with your natural eyes become more and more real to you. You become conscious and understanding that the spiritual dimension is there. You see, the person who doesn't is, 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 is just unaware of reality. Because the spiritual world is there. You're, you're not making something up. You're waking up to it. You're becoming conscious of reality. Wow, there is a spiritual world. Everything is not just two-dimensional. There's a three dimensions to this. There's, there's, a, there's a spiritual realm. I think that people, we play a game. I think that we know intuitively God is there. You realize you're living in the very presence of God every moment? I mean, every breath you take, you might say, you're, just, you're, you're like a fish swimming in water. You're, you're living in the very presence of God and then for people to say, well, I, I, I don't really believe in him. I don't believe in him. Most of that is, an, is a fight with God. I don't like him. I'm angry at him. He didn't do something right. I think he's unfair. I've got a lie in my mind about him. There's all sorts of problems. But you take a person who's a ferocious atheist, and if you push him off a bridge, and on the way down, they, they, they're no longer an atheist. On the way down, they're screaming, oh, God! Aren't they? What happened? They got converted. No, the baloney went away. The game stopped playing. The whole thing of my little war with God just ended because I need him. 
People know. Everybody knows. You can't not know. You just cannot like him. Or you don't want him intruding in your life. You don't want him coming in and messing stuff up. You don't want him telling you to stop doing something you want to do. So the easier thing is to just say, he's not there. This kind of denial thing. You know, I, I, for, we've all got something that in our minds that if I really let go and let God have his way, he'd make me do. We have this perverse thinking that if he, he's watching to see what don't I want to do. You know, have you, don't, do you, come on. You can go ahead and laugh because that's you I'm talking about. Don't you have that? Mine was that if I really surrendered to God, this kept me for years, he'd send me to Borneo. Now, I didn't know where Borneo was, but I'd heard it was there. I'd read some missionary stories about it. Some of you, because I've said this before, have given me books on Borneo. Thank you for that. And it is a beautiful place. I I see now these pictures of white sand beaches, beautiful trees, parrots, and beautiful. Oh, man. I didn't go there. No. But that was what I was afraid of, that if I surrendered to God, he'd, he'd, he'd make me to go to Borneo. So I held on to the steering wheel for years because he's out of control. You know, he's, just, he's a good God, but you, he's a fanatic. So someone has to have the common sense here <laughs> to keep life in order. Am I talking about you? Yeah, yeah, I wasn't talking about me. That was my way of living until I finally opened up and let go. He didn't send me to Borneo. Now I wish he had. <laughs> what, what I'm saying is, Jesus goes right after something here. He's saying, your understanding of the resurrection, your understanding of these realities of God is not a matter of if you had more facts. It's an attitude of the heart. And if you will open up to what, what, what the Holy Spirit is telling, if you will open up to the clear, clear witness of the Word of God, you'll know. You'll know that you know as if you'd seen Him yourself. It will become that kind of reality to you. It won't be something you struggle with. Jesus is not asking us to do something He has not done Himself. He, he too believed in the resurrection before He saw it. Did you see what I'm saying? Jesus believed in the resurrection before he saw it. Remember, he truly became a man. Though he has always been the begotten son of God, when he was conceived in Mary's womb, he laid aside his divine knowledge and powers and took upon himself the limitations of humanity. In other words, he too had to walk by faith just like we do. Uh, let Let me make sure you get this. People keep talking about Jesus when he'd do his miracles. And he, the commentaries will say this stuff. He, he's demonstrating that he's the creator. He's the divine son of God. He is not. I mean, he is that. But he is not demonstrating that. The Bible says that when Jesus became a man, it's in, it's in Philippians 2. There's a word, kenosis. But it, he took off the privileges of divinity and he laid them aside like a coat. And he became one of us. Do you follow this? When he was walking around, he was not reading the molecular structure of the walls. This is not kind of, you know, the God mind in a human body. He took that and put it aside. Could he have used it? Yes. That was the temptation in the wilderness. You're hungry. You're the son of God. That's a stone. Come on. You can do it. 
He could. And he, he absolutely, no, I'll, I do nothing but what the Spirit leads me to do. He was a man, what you see with Jesus, you see a man baptized in the Holy Spirit, fully yielded to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You see that? Everything he did was as a man baptized in the Holy Spirit. Is he the second person of the Trinity? Yes. But what was going on in the incarnation? He laid that aside. Why do I say that? When Jesus faced the cross, he had to believe the prophets. He had to read, he, when he read these things, he had to trust the word just like you do. He's not asking us to do anything he didn't do himself. You, you follow where I'm going? In other words, he had to walk by faith just like we do. Imagine the faith he had to have to go willingly to the cross. He understood what Moses and the prophets had said about his suffering. He understood it in such terrible detail. His body went into severe anxiety attack as he waited in the Garden of Gethsemane to be arrested. Okay, you're reading through the, the Old Testament prophecies about what will happen to the Messiah. They will, he will be pierced, he will be bruised, he will be striped, he will be crushed. They'll tear out his beard, they'll spit on him. They will, he will be beaten beyond recognition. And you go, oh, it's terrible. That's terrible. Well, what they did to him is terrible. Now put yourself in his shoes. He's reading this about what they will do to him. Do you follow? They will tear out my beard. I will be beaten beyond recognition. I will be pierced. I will be crushed. I will be bruised. But he'll also read, but I will rise from the grave after three days. He died in faith. He died trusting the word was true. He died believing that God would do what God said he would do. Just like you and I have to. He also understood the promise that he would rise from the dead. He, he went to the cross trusting God's word that said the Messiah would not remain in the grave. He had to trust the promises in God's word and so do we. It was only a select group of people for a period of 40 days who actually got to see him alive in his resurrection body. The rest of us for the last 2,000 years have to believe without seeing just like he did. Standing in that synagogue, Paul announced that, he had, that God had raised Jesus from the dead. And he said, many witnesses saw him alive. But then he immediately turned to the scriptures to show them what this meant. He said, Jesus is the king. Would you say that? The resurrection proves that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the firstborn son of a new race of people. He's the first of a new race, and you're part of it. You too are going to look just like him. You too are actually going to have a relationship to God exactly like his. You are joined to him. You are now men and women, sons of God. We have you are going to have full access to the Father. You, we, the, Paul says in Romans 8 that the whole creation right now groans waiting for the day that you and I put on our resurrection bodies and rule it in righteousness. Not, that Je, not just that Jesus comes back. That was what will, that's what will open that. 
but that you, that you resurrected in your body, extending the rulership of Jesus Christ, the whole creation groans waiting for you. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is the Savior. Would you say that? The resurrection proves that God will give the mercies of David to everyone who believes in him. Jesus is the Holy One. Would you say that? The The resurrection proved that he was without sin and therefore death could not hold him. Why couldn't it hold him? Because the power of death is sin. The power of, of the sin is the law. He had not sinned at all. Death could not hold him. It had nothing to grip onto. And he rose and defeated it. And we rose with him. In effect, we are already resurrected. In effect, we are already seated at the right hand with Jesus, ready to come back and take our place. That's how God thinks about it. Jesus is the name. Would you say that? The resurrection proves that God gives forgiveness of sins to those who believe in Jesus. Hearing the truth. Let's listen to Paul's words once more. This is, this is my translation. In another psalm, I'm picking up at about verse 35, I think. In another psalm, he also says, You will not give your Holy One to see decay. For indeed, David, having by the will of God served his own generation fell asleep and was placed among his fathers and he saw decay but the one whom God raised did not see decay therefore men brothers let it be known to you through this one forgiveness of sins is proclaimed and by this one everyone who believes is justified that's the word Paul uses Everyone who believes is justified from all the things from which you could not be justified in the law of Moses. If you and I had been there listening to Paul, what would our response be? Would we have believed his testimony because we see it in the scriptures? Or would we wait until we can see him with our own eyes? The resurrection still makes us choose. Would you stand with me? Blessed be the Lord. I want to I want to ask for a an oper- I want to give an opportunity to respond right now. So much is said about the resurrection. If you were the devil, wouldn't you make sure there was a lot of confusion on the matter? By churches, by Christian teachers, all kinds of things have been said and done with it. The world will attack it and mock it. People try to spiritualize it. People try to do all kinds of strange things with it. But you listen today to the Apostle Paul's sermon. There's no question what he's saying. There's no question what all the apostles were saying. There's no question what the Christian message is. That this Jesus Christ came from heaven, became a man, and he was crucified. He was buried, and he was in a tomb for three days. He was totally, totally dead. But God raised him from the dead, 
And there are witnesses, but it's exactly what the prophets said would happen. Anyone today that you just to, in your own heart, this has been a puzzle. It's been a confusion. It's been a difficult thing to grasp. But as you listen to the word today, you say, no, I hear it. And I am going to not sit on the fence. I'm not going to, I'm not going to deal with that. I am going to lay hold of the resurrection and say, I will stake my future. I will stake my life. I will stake my eternity on an historical fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he's alive now, never to return to decay. I will stake everything on that truth. I believe it with all my heart. Would you bow your heads just a moment? I just, anyone want to raise your hand and say, Pastor, I need to make that statement today. I have struggled with this. I have struggled with this, but I am confessing it with all my heart right now. I get it. I hear the word. Yes, yes. Praise God. Yes. Who else? You're just saying today, I heard the word. Yes, praise the Lord. This is important. This is important. This is the heart of the apostolic gospel. This is what our fathers and mothers preached from the very beginning. Not a, not a religion. They preached an historical fact. Jesus Christ is alive. He's risen from the dead. Anyone else say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my entire eternity on that. I will hope in him. Yes, praise God. He is my risen one. Yes. Because of him, I will live forever. Because of him, yes. Praise God. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Just do your wonderful work. Just do your wonderful work right now. We're letting go of skepticism. We're letting go of fears and doubts. Yes, praise God. We're saying, I embrace Jesus Christ. I will trust him. I will trust him. He's risen from the grave and so will I. I, as though I have seen him with my own eyes, the word is clear. I believe, I believe. One last request. Yes, praise God. Anyone else? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Church, let's pray. Now what we're going to do is we're going to just make that confession. We're just going to confess Jesus Christ, the risen one. Heavenly Father, I believe you have sent your son. He became a man, totally a man, fully human. And he died a real death for my sins, my sorrow, my sickness, all placed on him. You judged him. You punished him for my sins. What mercy. I believe he died. This day, I confess with all my heart, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He exploded out of the grave. Alive, strong, resurrected, never to decay. As though I've seen it with my own eyes. I believe with all my heart. Jesus, you are alive. Because of you, I too will explode out of the grave. Because of you, all who have loved you will rise from the grave. Death will not hold us. Death has lost its power. We live forever with you and with one another. Such a gift. We honor you.
We praise you. We worship you. With all our hearts, we believe. But Moses and the prophets and the apostles and my heart tells me in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.